Well, we are at the halfway point of a series called The Story, and if you're new with us, we are going through the the story of the Bible, uh, looking at the big God story. We're using a resource called The Story, and uh, what it is is not the Bible, but it is an abridged version of the Bible. It's a chronological uh, uh, version of it, so we're trying to be able to kind of look at the big events as they happen together and see the story as it happens. Uh, and being at the halfway point, it's kind of exciting uh, along the way. So we are uh, at this point where we're trying to do three things. We're trying to discover this big upper story that what is God trying to accomplish and what is he trying to do from, from page one to the last page of the, uh, of the last chapter. Uh, and so every week what we do is we walk into a, a moment in this as we're, we're kind of moving chronologically through this. So we're kind of at this halfway point. And, and uh, what we want to see is that each week as we look at what we call a lower story, how it's connected to this bigger upper story. But we also want to see how this story today uh, and each week is connected to our story. How is God trying to draw us and our story into his And today we are going to be talking about uh, the prophets or God's messengers. And so we're going to talk a little bit about hearing and listening uh, to God. So I want to invite you to a very bold prayer. We saw this a couple weeks ago if you were here. There was a a prayer uh, that was uttered uh, by a, a young boy named Samuel. And he said this, he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds This is challenged by choice. Uh, It's just going to be silence. But because we're talking about hearing and listening, I want to invite you to to maybe take that same prayer and just quietly in your heart just to say, Lord, today I'm listening. If you got to shout, shout. If you want to whisper, whisper. But speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Uh, Let's bow. I'll give you about 20 seconds. God, who is like you? Who is like you in the heavens? Who is like you on the earth? You are holy and infinite. You are beyond anything uh, we can comprehend. And yet, at the same time, you know us and you speak to us. You, in your voice, in a whisper, in a, in a, in a call, you, you speak to a boy, to a man, to a woman, to a little girl here in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley. You are imminent. You are close. You want to know us and you want us to know you. Who is like you? God, open our hearts to your message. Not just to the things you want to say today, but God, would you help us shape our lives in such a way that we would hear you and listen to you? And so we pray your blessing as we think through this moment of of your story. Help us understand why your prophets were needed and why you still today speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When I was a youth pastor, my students used to make fun of me. They used to say that I could not hear very well. 
And so they would come up to me and they would say, Bill, 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 Bill. And I would just kind of ignore them. And so what they, uh, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a, a hearing aid company called Miracle Ear. And so they, I, they gave me the nickname Miracle Ear. So they would say, Bill, 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 Miracle Ear. And then I would turn and look and they go, see, see. And I'm like, ah. And I, I, what I would tell them is, I hear, I can hear just fine. I'm just choosing not to listen to you. And that didn't help at all. And actually, it kind of uh, infuriated them even more. And so they would go to the Miracle Ear store. I think it was like in Sears or something in the mall. And they would sign me up for all the Miracle Ear uh, <laughs> publications and promotions. And so I'd get all this stuff from Miracle Ear with all these different names. My favorite was uh, Willie Staffery. That was the name that would come a lot. Uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because for many of us, our challenge in knowing God is not so much a hearing problem, it's a listening problem. It's not so much that we haven't heard what he wants to say to us, it's just that we've chosen to listen to other voices. And what we've seen from page one, chapter one of the story is that God wants to be in a relationship with us. That the story of the Bible is the story of the God of the universe wanting to know you and you know him. And so we're watching dramatic, dynamic ways God is trying to make that happen. And so speaking into our lives and calling to us and having us listen to his voice is so important as it is in any relationship. And so I want to give you a big idea that will frame what we're going to talk about today as we talk about God's messengers. And it's this, that God speaks into our story to draw us into his. He speaks into our story to draw us into his. And we've seen now over 14 chapters that God is willing to speak to his people, to call to them, to draw them into his story. But the problem is they're not listening. And so, uh, look, you can eat from anything in the garden, just don't eat from these trees. They don't listen. Uh, all right, I'm still with you, but I need you to listen to my commands, obey my commands, and I can bless you. I can, I can help you prosper. They don't listen. They do what's right in their own eyes. He sends judges to save them and to protect them. Don't take on a king, okay? I'll be your king. They don't listen. We want a king. All right, I'll still work with you, but you and your king need to listen to me and obey me. And if you stay with me, I can bless you. I can protect you. I can, I can get you through these, these times. They don't listen. And so God sends prophets. So why, why do prophets come? Prophets, in this part of the story, what we're seeing is this, is that kings, the job of a king was to lead the people of God, to lead for God, to stand for God. And so we're going to see that in, this, in these next few chapters, that there are good kings and there are bad kings. And when you're a good king, it is that you stand for God and you stand for what he wants. When you're a bad king, you have ignored God and you've turned the people away from God. And so what God does is he sends a prophet. So what is a prophet? Most of us, when we hear the word prophet, we think of someone who predicts the future. Kind of like this guy from Mission Viejo. Some of you have seen this, right? Michael Lee uh, uh, 1993, I think, this is his yearbook from 1993. He wrote, Chicago Cubs 2016 World Champions. You heard it here first. That was from 1993. So whatever Michael has to say to you, I would listen, okay? 
Uh, someone, I just met someone who's like, oh, my brother knows him. And so I don't know, maybe we can get him here to come speak one morning. Uh, this was interesting. This freaked me out a little bit. I don't know how many of you watched the game on Wednesday night. It was the most amazing baseball game I think I've ever watched. But here's what happened. Uh, there was, if, if you're on Twitter, there was a tweet from, from 9 o'clock in the morning uh, in 2014. I want you to notice the date. November 4th, 2014, 923 in the morning. Someone tweeted this. 2016 World Series, Cubs versus Indians. And then the world will end with the score tied in game seven and extra innings. Now, I don't know if you were watching the game, but a dramatic tie at the end of the game, in, in the ninth inning, and then it started to rain and they, they stopped the game. And I was standing there like, I was like, no way. I was like looking out the window, like, is the sky going to open up? Is this like, is there a trumpet call? Like what's happening right now? Well, fascinating enough, most of the prophecy in the Bible is very, that, that is predicting future is very small. Most of the time the prophets are predicting the future. It's, there's very little, but there is some. In fact, uh, at Christmas, we're going to look at some of the prophecies, wonderful prophecies of Jesus, the Messiah coming, and the unique way in which he comes, in which the prophets had said he would. But most prophecy was about the here and now. It was about calling people back to God. It was calling them to listen to God, to return to God, to be drawn back into his story. And so today I want you to see some of the interaction that's going to take place between some of the prophets and the people of God. So if you have the story, turn to chapter 15, which is page 203. Or if you're going to use the Bible to kind of follow along where you are, we're going to skip around a lot. We'll move quickly, uh, but we're going to be in 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, and we're going to start with looking at the story of Elijah and the, prophet, uh, the, the prophets of Baal. Now, last week, where we ended was we saw that, uh, that God's kingdom divided. It went 10 tribes of the 12 tribes. 10 of them went to the north, known as Israel. Two are in the south. They're now known as Judah. And as we began to see, and as we're going to continue to see, we're going to, as you're walking through these next few chapters, just so you kind of see what's happening, you're going to watch the interaction that God has with the north and with the south. And so just as long as you know, sometimes I've got to make sure I'm paying attention. Is he dealing with the north or the south? And what we're going to see a lot today is him dealing with the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, 39 kings between these two, uh, this divided nation, 39 kings, only five of them were good. And of the northern kingdom, over a 208-year period, 19 kings, all bad. That means every single king took the people away from God. And they are described as bad, 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 evil, bad, bad, evil, evil, bad kinds of things. And the guy we're going to see today, Ahab, he is not bad. He is evil with a capital E. And so let me just show you from 1 Kings 16 a description of Ahab, so you get kind of an idea. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. We talked about legacy last week. That is not the legacy you want. He not only considered it trivial to consider the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, Jezebel, just so you know, is the only queen mentioned. 
And she's not mentioned for good reasons. Because with her comes the worship of Baal, which is a, a god who controlled the crops and controlled the land. And so with the worship of this false god came a lot of barbaric practices. And so not only are the people turning away from God, they're turning to, to worship this other god. They're doing evil stuff to please this god so that this god will bless their land. But not only Baal, but Asherah as well. Asherah is kind of the... Uh, the mother earth, and so kind of the female counterpart, uh, the earth mother. And so you have Baal and Asherah, you have these shrines, you have all kinds of stuff that's going on, this worship that is going on. Now in this time where you have this evil king and queen, you have these evil practices, God raised up someone, someone that was willing to take a stand for him. And his name is Elijah. Now, we don't know much about Elijah to the point that he's introduced, other that he's from pretty much obscurity. He's from this place called Tishbe. And we know what his name means. Elijah means the Lord is my God. But we also discover what his mission is. And his mission is described in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It's the very first line of the story on page 203. It says this, that the, uh, as the Lord, this is Elijah speaking, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah says, here's my job. I'm here to tell you what God says. You have turned from him, and as a result, there will be no rain for three years until he tells me he's bringing rain. Now, if you're a farmer or if you're a herder, this is absolute disaster. You think the California drought is bad, you can only water your lawn you know, every other day. I mean, this is going to completely destroy them. This is going to shut down the nation. And just as he had spoken for three years, not a drop of rain. And Ahab is searching for Elijah. He wants to, he doesn't want to just catch him. He wants to kill him. And so finally the day comes where God says, you're ready. It's time to go meet Ahab. It's three years have gone by. First Kings 18, starting in verse 16, we read this. Uh, Obadiah went to meet Ahab. This is another prophet who went to set this up. He told Ahab to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now notice Ahab's posture. He looks at Elijah and says, It is your fault we are in this trouble. But Elijah is quick to say, Look, don't shoot the messenger. I'm the one who simply told you what was happening, why it's happening. But notice, Elijah's going to tell you, here's why you are facing this trouble. Verse 18, he says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So Elijah says, we're going to have a competition. We're going to have a dance-off here. We're going to, it's going to be me versus the 850 prophets. Now this is a pretty significant challenge, but you got to think about, for the last three years, God has pulled Elijah aside. He's, he's been alone out in the desert waiting training, learning to trust God. God's been providing miraculously for him. He's been building his faith. 
And I just want to pause there for a second because we, we keep seeing this theme all throughout the story, don't we? So I want you to, just, to think about something. Sometimes God is going to invite you to something, but he might spend years preparing you for it. And I hope by now you're starting to become okay with that. That God isn't always in a hurry to get you to where he has you going. But notice what happens here as he's training him. God, he's bringing him to this place. Elijah goes before the people and he says this. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? And notice the two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And here's the central question that they're facing. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? Now the words here are fascinating. Uh, the Hebrew word for opinion means, to, it, it speaks of, of, of branches or fork, like a fork in the road. Okay? It's like branches on a tree limb. Uh, uh, and, and, and he's saying, look, the road is splitting and it's widening. The word waver means to limp or to halt, to halt or to hop to dance or to leap. So think about it. He's, he's literally saying something like this. How long will you keep dancing on one foot and then on the other, all the while trying to straddle this ever-widening gap? You gotta pick. You gotta choose. You can't have both. And Elijah says to them, he said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull. And I'll put it on the wood and I will not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of my God. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, what you say is good. And so Elijah says, you guys go first. And the people must have been thinking, I don't think he quite understands who he's dealing with. Baal is the sun god. He is the fire god. Like this is the source of this. The fire of the universe comes from this god. Does he understand what he's saying? And Elijah knows exactly what he's doing. God knows exactly what he's doing. So they, they prepare a sacrifice. They do it just as they said. And they begin to pray. They begin to call out to God, their God. They begin to call to, the, to Baal and say, send down fire. Show the people you're the one true God. Nothing. They start shouting louder, louder. The only thing you can hear is crickets. Nothing. And then Elijah starts to taunt them. Not just any kind of taunts. I mean, this is Kobe Bryant-level taunting. He starts saying things like, I, you know, I don't know, maybe your God is busy. Maybe your God is on the toilet and he can't put the paper down. I mean, that's literally when he says it's, your God is busy, that's what he's saying to them. Uh, maybe he can't hear you very well. I mean, he is taunting them and they start getting more frantic. They're cutting themselves. They're dancing all day long. Silence. And we learn something, don't we, about idols, things that we waver towards, thing, other things that we worship. They always overpromise and underdeliver. 
Jesus said it this way. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life. Jesus says, it doesn't matter how good the the offer is, it will always end in your destruction. It will always end in you getting ripped off. It will always end in death. Don't trust a deceiver. And here the people are seeing that they have been deceived. And so Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. He does the same thing. He prepares the, the altar the exact same way, except... He says, cover it with water. They do again. They do again. They do. There's a trench built around it. The trench is built up with water. It is soaked so that the altar isn't just wet. The trench is filled. And then Elijah prays. Verse 36, it says this. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now notice that last line, the motive of Elijah and the motive of God is not to just kind of heap on how wrong they are. The motive of God, again, is this relationship. God, show yourself so that you will draw them back to yourself, that you will turn their hearts back again. Here's the first thing I want you to see is that God speaks into your story to call us back to himself. God speaks into our story so that he can call us back to ourselves. When we are wavering, God in his love sends fire or he sends a whisper, but he speaks because he, he has, from the very beginning, has created you to be in relationship with him. And when you waver away from that, he will speak into your life. And, and the reason he's speaking into your life is to draw you back to himself. He doesn't want to share himself, your worship, with anything or anyone else. Some of you might remember, I don't know how many of you, I can't tell in this service. I think you guys are old enough too. Some of you, do you guys remember Peter Brady and the Brady Bunch? And remember when he had like two dates and he was upstairs one and downstairs one and he would go downstairs and he'd entertain the one and dance with her and then he'd go to and, you know, the other room. And, and it's kind of, isn't it interesting? So we watch this kind of thing and it's become kind of a verb, like you're, you're Peter braided me, right? You know, like you, you're, in, you're, you're wavering between two things. And this is what we do with God sometimes. That on Sunday, we give him all the love and intention. And then on Monday, we go right back to all our other stuff. And then we come back on Sunday, and then we go back on Monday. And we go back on Sunday, and we waver between two different gods, Sunday we worship God, and Monday we worship wealth and possessions and career and relationships and power and everything else that we want in our life. And God says this, how long, how long will you waver? And when he speaks into your story, it's so to draw you back to himself and say, these other things, they cannot give you life. Whatever they're promising, They cannot deliver ultimately on the promise. 
come back to me. And Elijah prays in verse 38, notice the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. It also licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell to the ground and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And thankfully, sometimes God, to get our attention, will have fire fall from the sky in our lives. And it scares us, doesn't it? It drops us to our face, to the ground. But he does that to draw you back to himself. Now, a fascinating thing happens in this story. And what happens is, all of a sudden, we we see in Elijah is this, that there's this great moment. He wins, the rain uh, then comes. It is a great victory. But think about what it is for Ahab. Ahab goes home. He goes home to Jezebel. And then when he's home, he says, you know, honey, I'm home. How did it go? Not so good. Elijah won. The people all turned back to God. They killed all your prophets. It's not a good day. And she, furious. She's like, Elijah, if by this time you're not dead, and she puts this threat on his life, and Elijah realizes I'm in trouble, and he runs. And he runs, he runs. He runs about 100 miles away. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. Here's the second important thing that you need to see is that God speaks into our story to restore us when we're broken. God will speak to you because you are broken. You are exhausted. You are burnt out. You are at your wit's end. You have nothing left. And he will speak to you to restore you. Have you ever been there? Some of you are there right now. You're so tired. You are so exhausted. You are so burnt out physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you're just not sure where you're going to get the strength to to, to continue on. And I want you to see that God will speak into your story because he wants to restore you. Elijah runs all this way. He He is fried. And he falls asleep under this bush. And the angel comes to him and says, get up. He feeds him. And he says, lay down. He falls asleep. Wakes him up. You're not strong strong enough. Feeds him. Go back to sleep. And there's kind of this fascinating little moment here that sometimes the most spiritual thing that God can do for us is to give us a snack and have us take a nap. I mean, it's all like preschool, we, had, we got it all right, right? That was like what most of us need. In fact, some of you today are going to be laying on the couch. Your spouse is going to say to you, hey, get up, lazy. We got stuff to do. We're burning daylight. And you're going to say, no, 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 no. I'm applying today's sermon. The best thing for me to do sometimes is snacks and naps. And right now, that's what I have. But look at the grace of God. He's exhausted. And so what does he do? He lets him, he, he has him rest. He's hungry, feeds him. Why? He's trying to restore him, strengthen him. And being strengthened now, Elijah travels 40 more miles. He goes to this mountain to meet with God. 
Now, the last time God spoke, it was through fire. It was through this giant uh, uh, firefall. But notice the unique way in which God speaks to him this next time. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. The story, page 207, says this. That God said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore, through the, mount, uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. A voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put the prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet, notice this, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouth have not kissed him. How does God restore him in his brokenness? He comes and with a gentle whisper, he says to Elijah, get your eyes off Jezebel and put your eyes back on me. And in the stillness, God whispers to him. In fact, it could be translated that that God spoke in the silence. And we see that circumstances don't always tell the whole story. The things that are breaking us, that are kind of tearing us apart, don't always tell the whole story. We see this with Elijah. He could only see his version of the circumstances. But God's saying there's a bigger story. There's this upper story. There's my story that is being accomplished, and I don't want you to be afraid. Now, I want you to ask yourself this. How much noise does God have to work through to whisper to you? How noisy is your life right now? Could, could God even speak into your life with a gentle whisper? Could he speak into your life with silence? One of the great ways that God speaks into our life is when we sit uh, with his word. When we're quiet before him and we let him speak and teach us and train us. And we ask, Lord, Lord, what are you trying to say to me today? I don't know if you've built that discipline in your life, but like anything in life, it's a way that we train. It's a way that we build ourselves up. And I want to encourage you, like I said, we're halfway through the, the story. And if you've fallen behind or you haven't started, now's a great time. Grab one today. Start today. Catch up today. Because we've got two more weeks and then we're off for like seven weeks. You've got a lot of time to catch up. So by January, you can be right where you need to be. But if you can understand this big God story, the things that God can teach you and connect the dots, it will, it will allow you to grow in such fascinating ways. 
Are you creating space in your life for God to whisper? One final thing I just want you to see before we close is this, is that when God speaks, oftentimes when God speaks into our story, it's because we're struggling either to love him or to love others. And as you've entered this part of the story in the next couple chapters, these prophets are going to jump off the page at you. And what I want you to notice is this. You'll notice that they are usually challenging the people to do one of two things, to return and love God or to love each other better. But the prophets are always kind of geared around one of those two things. One of the examples that was in there was this prophet Amos. And and, uh, let me just give you this example. He says, seek the Lord and live. Okay, love the Lord, seek him, go back to him. Or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. He will, or it will devour them. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. There's, there it is, loving each other, treating each other with love and justice. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on his remnant of Joseph. And Jesus said this, he said, all the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, everything the prophets were saying was about one of those two things. If you can do those two things, you can make those priorities. That's why our mission is to, for you to learn to love God, each other, and the world. That if you can learn to grow in these things, that these are the things that God wants from you. So what message has God been trying to get across to you lately? Is there a message? Is there something God's been saying? Maybe you've been hearing it. You just haven't listened to it yet. I just want to remind you, Jesus' command was not just that we would know his commandments, but that we would obey his commandments. Maybe there's something tough he's asking you to do. Maybe there's a way he's inviting you to come and return to him. But God in his love speaks to us. And I want to close. We're going to have these last moments of our service are going to be a a time of communion together. And what I want you to to see through this is what a a, a special message God is giving us uh, that Jesus gave us when he gave us this, this way of worshiping. Uh, I keep in my wallet, I keep two love letters. Neither are from my wife. Um, uh, someone was praying for me a couple different times and uh, said, I think these are some things that God laid on my heart to tell you. And so they're not from me. These are things I think God wanted to say to you. And when I read these notes, when I read, those, when I read them the first time, I couldn't even come from backstage. I, I was just in tears. It was just, it was very tender It was very uh, right to where the things I needed to hear, uh, maybe didn't want to hear, but needed to hear. But these notes remind me of God's love for me, that he's proud of me, that I'm his son. They remind me of my calling. They remind me, don't, don't play to the applause of people. Don't perform for me, just be you. And these messages just keep me centered of who he wants me to be. What we're about to uh, share in, it, it, it is like those notes. 
Uh, can I share a couple notes with you? Jesus, on the last night of his life, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said that this represents my body, which is being broken for you. Take and eat and remember me. And when you take the bread, what you do is, it is a, it's a love letter from God that says this. Do you know, do you understand how for you I am? That I'm willing to give you even my one and only son. And Jesus wants you to know, look, when you take this bread, I want you to know, I am laying down my life for you because I love you, because I want us to be together now and forever. This is a message to you. Take and eat. Remember me. Remember what I've done. Even while you're sinners, Christ has died for you. Jesus took a cup and then he passed it. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. When we take the cup and we drink the cup, we are reminded that Jesus was willing to to pour out his blood, to cover over, to wash away our sins, never to be counted against us. That God is not going to keep a tally against you. He doesn't want to keep a tally against you. He wants you to live in his grace and forgiveness. He wants you to be all that he's always dreamed you to be. He wants you to be in relationship with him. Struggling or not, large faith, tiny faith. I want you to know that you are welcome at this table. In a moment, the ushers will pass you. You've got to grab both cups. They're stacked together. If your faith is huge today and you're ready to go conquer whatever mountain, take it. If you're struggling, if you're burnt out, if your faith is so small, if you can say, God, I believe, help my unbelief, you're welcome to take it. But this is something for us as Christians to do to celebrate. And I want to leave you with this. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Here's here's a great part of this message. He says, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, We proclaim his death until he comes again. He didn't come in game seven, so we're still waiting. But here's what we know. When we take these elements, it is a reminder. I love you. The story's not done yet, but I am coming for you. I will come for you. And so as the the trays come, I invite you to take them, pray, sing, sit. But in these last minutes, let's listen to the Lord. Let's listen to what he wants to say through these elements, what he might whisper even in your heart in these last minutes. Uh, But let's use these last times to to pray and to, to worship. So bow with me. If it's your desire to be in a relationship with Jesus, to say, Lord, help me. Help me even in my unbelief to believe. Then even in the quiet of this moment, just tell him, Lord, I want to trust you more today. I want to follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the life that you offer to me. Today, Lord, I choose to give my life to you, to trust you. I don't know exactly what that all means, but I want to, I want to walk with the God 
who's walking with me. Lord, we, we gather at this table to just celebrate you. We take these things to remember you and remember what you've done for us. And so speak for your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.